as we look to our Lord now in prayer. Now, Father, we're thanking you for the great privilege we have to worship you on this Lord's Day. Now, in the second of the three services, as well as the live stream, we're asking that you would powerfully, through your word, speak to our hearts and equip us to be able to understand the significance of life and what's entailed ultimately in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Now, Father, you know the needs that are here in all these services, struggles people face, the issues, the challenges, the difficulties. Praying for the one either watching online or the one in one of these services who might have come in not knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. Speak to that heart, stir them, cause them to desire you, put faith and trust exclusively in Christ as Savior and Lord. And for all who know you, Father, love you, want to grow in you, take, Father, what's here now in these verses and use it to mobilize us to be more effective in this culture. Pray that you would warm these hearts. Engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus in Him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Susan Shelley wrote that I was thrilled when my physician told me our our baby to be was a boy and. I decided to keep the news secret initially. I wanted to see my husband Marshall's face when the news was offered. But in the fifth month, uh, our doctor recommended a ultrasound. And as I lay on the examining table, Dr. Silver manipulated the ultrasound, measuring the cranium and femur, and viewing the internal organs, and we watched carefully the embryonic motions. Is everything okay, Marshall asked? Well, let me complete the exam, and I'll give you a full report, the doctor said. Now, I hope that his evasive answer was merely his standard procedure. But moments later, the physician announced his observations in a rather matter-of-fact voice. We have some problems here. Now listen to the wording, the terminology. The fetus has a malformed heart. The aorta is attached incorrectly. There are missing portions of the cerebellum, a club foot, a cleft palate, perhaps a cleft lip, probably spina bifida. This could very well be a case of uh, trisomy 13 or trisomy 18, but in either case, this is a condition that is incompatible with life. Now, Susan Shelley wrote, neither Marshall nor I could say anything at this point, and so the physician simply continued. It's unlikely that the fetus will spontaneously, it's likely the fetus will spontaneously miscarry and if the child is born, notice now the interplay, fetus to child. If the child is born, it will not survive long outside the womb. Notice the physician now referred to the child as it. You need to decide if you want to try and carry this pregnancy to term. 
and we both knew what he was asking. I was shaken by the news, but I knew clearly what I needed to say. God is the giver and the taker of life, I said. If the only opportunity I have to know this child is in my womb, I don't want to cut that time short. If the only world he is to know is my womb, then I want that world to be as safe as I can make it for him. Profound. You and I are placed in situations in life where words matter and decisions count. In a culture where life is on the line, what we need to be able to do is to be able to combine the verbal which Susan Shelley offered with the visual which our 2D, 3D, 4D presentation provided. And when we can combine now the verbal with the visual, I believe it's an effective combination to be able to take a mindset which might be inclined toward abortion and cause that person to begin to rethink the assumptions and the presuppositions about what matters most, who matters most, and the matter of life within the womb. What I want to do with you is to view you as I did in the prior service and in the coming, as well as our online <coughs> congregation, and to think seriously now about how we can be effective counselors in a fallen culture, to get people to start rethinking their assumptions and to think seriously about what life entails and who is the author of life. In other words, I want to pull together with you not only the idea of the sanctity of life, but also a strategy for life, which found, is found in these verses. There are three counseling guidelines I draw out from these verses that you can apply to your own work situations, to your own relational connections, school, neighborhoods and the likes, family. And out of this, we can have a greater impact to make a difference for God's glory. I would say now out of verses 3 down to verse 7, as you and I, as we connect the sanctity of life with strategies for life, Let's begin here by noting, first of all, the wisdom from Scripture that you and I, we need to apply. We're going to have to think holistically now. And so notice carefully how this begins, and look for repeated words, phrases, concepts, ideas. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength. A man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate he does not open his mouth. Now, let me ask you, what did you see here as a recurring theme? If you say wisdom, you've got it. Wisdom in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew, means literally masterful understanding, skill, 
expertise. Now, if you are in the midst of counseling someone who has an abortion mindset, if you will, and views that as an option, what we want to do is to not only utilize our value of wisdom, but to impart this wisdom, because this is full-spectrum discipleship. We are, we are equipping people to equip people to equip people to make a difference in this culture. So now you have to view every conversation you have is filled with the idea of imparting masterful understanding, skill, expertise, in order to make a difference. Now one approach might be that when you are involved in a verbal back and forth that you can offer simultaneously the visual option and say, well, let me pull out my app for you, and you take that person through an ultrasound voyage where they move from 2D to 3D to 4D like you just saw, and now in a culture that's not only highly verbal but highly visual, you combine them to offer a powerful statement with regard to rethinking what matters most, who matters most, and so on and so forth. What you're doing at that moment is you're connecting the sanctity of life with the strategy for life, and what you are doing furthermore is beginning to show them that the source of life is God, not the parents. God is the source. The parents are the means. Or to put it another way, as we've stated periodically, you and I, when we're looking at 2D, 3D, 4D, we're not looking at potential life. We're looking at life with potential. Back now to this connecting of wisdom in verse 3 and again in verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. Notice the imagery here that, that the writer is offering. By wisdom, a house is built. And you say, well, Gary, why utilize the word house? Well, do you remember that classic verse in Joshua chapter 24? The Israelites had to make a critical decision that would involve their own sense of life and death. And what Joshua would say to them in the form of a challenge would be this. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. In other words, house carried with it the idea of a dynasty. There's the house of David found in the scriptures. And Solomon would have been part of that house. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, these words were given to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that's why three wise men appeared on the scene in Bethlehem, looking for that king who is a son of David. This was part of the house of David that God had promised at this point. And so we've got to make absolutely certain now, as we begin to work the terminology and the phrasing, that we understand the figures of speech and the metaphors that are found here. For example, 
God will, in verses 3 and 4, use the imagery of, of both internal and external desi designs for home. By wisdom, a house is built. Those that are involved in construction now are going to be able to say, I get that, I can relate to that. You've got to have a solid foundation upon which to build. But now notice what God does through this writer. He combines the word wisdom, connects it to the next word, understanding. By understanding it is established. You are now laying the foundation. And then thirdly, he goes on to say, by knowledge the rooms are filled. And you say, I've read through a lot of the Proverbs. That sounds familiar. Well, you're connecting the dots at this point. Because in Proverbs chapter 3, and in verse 19, the same trio of words is used to describe what God is doing at the time of the creation. Intentionally now, the same wording is used. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, and by his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down in the dew. What we're saying then at this point is that God is the authority of life. The parent is not. God has ultimate say. The government does not. And so we've got to have our uppercase and lowercase forms of authority worked out so we have a thorough understanding as to who defines life, who creates life, and the parent then is the means, but God is the source. You're using masterful understanding. You're using skill. You're using expertise now as you combine the verbal and the visual in such a powerful way that you take them to the design of the creation and you're able to say that behind the design stands a designer. And when you look at the 2D, 3D, 4 presentation, you see then that within the womb there is a design. And behind that design is the designer. And so then we begin to value the significance that's found here as we begin to comprehend that this is God constructing something of high value, of high significance. Wisdom, chokmah, understanding, knowledge. The rooms are filled, the interior and the exterior of this child's life are being put together in a way that brings glory to God's name. And what fascinates you and fascinates me is that when you combine the interior and the exterior design of this child, you can go into the Older Testament, and the Hebrew word for the child within the womb is yelet. You can go to the Newer Testament, and in the Greek, the word is brephos. And what you see is that the same words were used to describe not only one within the womb, but also a young child outside of the womb. God sees one and the same because he's the designer who stands behind his design. Now this is an extraordinary thing. This is a designer at work. I remember that when my sister Carol Ann was born, and we were told that she was born with Down's syndrome, that the medical personnel, not her personal physician, but other medical personnel, had pulled my parents aside, my father's in the medical community, and said, well, we would recommend that you seriously consider abortion 
And my father, who was steeped in the scriptures as well as the sciences and didn't see a disconnect because God is Lord over both, that night would read these words from Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. For Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? In other words, the source of life determines the quality of life, and the viability of life and the value of life are to be understood in conjunction with one another based upon God having authority, even though Adam and Eve sought autonomy. Now there's the culture right now. Our culture is one that's seeking autonomy from God, but then when you and I introduce 2D to 3D to 4D and combine the verbal with the visual, we're getting them to rethink their presuppositions and forcing them to begin to say to themselves, maybe there's an authority above. Maybe the government is not what defines life. God defines life, God creates life, and God is the one who offers the standard of life. Now. Notice then how brilliantly, how wisely the proverbial writer moves from interior design, interior and exterior, construction of a house, to military design found in the next verses. Because still now you're in this section, and we find here in verses 5 and 6 him saying, A wise man's full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might, for by wise guidance... You can wage your war. In an abundance of counselors, there's victory. And so I'm sitting in with a, somebody in the military, and as I'm engaging this person, and he is talking with me and grappling with the matter that there is what he calls a pregnancy on hand, I say to him, have you considered the fact that what we need to be able to understand is that this is a child within the womb? And that your girlfriend at this point is with child. We begin to rethink our terminology. You and I have to do the same. The issue, even when we're asking questions, is not, is it a boy or a girl? But rather, is the child a boy or a girl? In other words, what I'm saying is we've got to eliminate the it from what we have to say. Because we're dealing with viability, vitality. At this point, there is a designer who stands behind the design in our culture that's seeking autonomy from God. We've got to fully recognize the authority that is found in God. And I thought about that, didn't you, when you and I began to ponder what took place last year, where on January 22nd of 2019, Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act. I find that fascinating, the wording setting the tone for a year of polarizing abortion legislation. And as World Magazine points out, the city celebrated, get that, celebrated by lighting up one World Trade Center in pink. Now, you remember, because you track the news, and you want to be culturally relevant, and you want to be scripturally engaging, 
But how do you build the bridge from one to the other? Well, maybe what you want to do at this point, if you're talking with somebody who's fascinated about how to approach things creatively, is you pull out C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there is a fascinating back and forth. Where King Caspian's visiting an island under his rule and discovers the territory is embroiled in the slave trade. The Narnian king demands that the lazy governor explain why the islanders have resorted to this, quote, abominable and unnatural traffic in slaves. And what's the governor's reply? If you've read the series by C.S. Lewis, necessary, unavoidable, an essential part of the economic development of the islands, I assure you, as another governor has the World Trade Center cast in pink. But later in that volume, King Caspian demanded the slave trade end, and the governor objected by saying, but that would be putting the clock back. He's concerned with the economics, you see, of what might be involved in a decision such as that. But then I'm reminded of the fact that down south in Georgia, let's say, Hollywood actors and a full-page New York Times ad American Civil Liberties Union, Planned Parenthood, Center for Reproductive Rights, all declared restrictions to abortion are, well, they put communities and the economy at risk and are bad for business, was the argument. But there's a cost involved in matters of life, and Jesus demonstrated the ultimate when he died on the cross to save us from our sins so that we could experience ultimate life. And so as the book would wind towards its conclusion, there is this back and forth between the governor and the king. Have you no idea of progress, of development, the so-called forward-thinking progressive governor asks the king? To which King Caspian responds, this is so cool, I have seen them both in an egg. He replied, what you are describing is simply what we call going bad. And so now, you and I, we're thinking about how to apply masterful understanding, skill, expertise. And we see now the terminology that was used in the way in which God created. And he created something out of nothing. He is the designer who stands behind his design. And so now you can take the individual and get them to start rethinking their presuppositions by looking at the design of the universe, pull out a telescope, do whatever it takes, and see how things fit together and how gravitational forces are at work. And behind all this is the one who has authority over one and over all. But now, not only are you talking to, let's say, uh, a, a construction worker in verses 3 and 4, or a military personnel individual in verses 5 and 6, but furthermore, maybe it's somebody in the political realm of verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool, we are told. Chokmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise, in the gate. He does not open his mouth. And you say, Gary, what does that have to do with the legal realm, with the political realm, and so on? Do you realize that in Israelite court systems, judicial decisions were made at the gate? People would go to the gate. 
and there a court rendering would be offered. And when you and I read that, our minds go back to something that is found in Ruth chapter 4, where Boaz now wants to marry Ruth. And we're told in chapter 4, verse 11, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, back to the wet house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And now you're pulling all this together, you see, because we've got to think not only in terms of what might be described as personal convenience, but also the judicial philosophies that stand behind the decisions that are being made in the culture that we are being confronted with day in, day out. And I thought about that furthermore when I was thinking about how in Whatever Happened to the Human Race, penned by Francis Schaeffer and by C. Everett Koop, one of the groundbreaking works for evangelicals in understanding this whole dilemma that we're faced with uh, pertaining to Roe versus Wade. They noted that two years prior to the decision, the decision in a 7-2 majority, only two dissenters, the University of Pittsburgh medical students opted to eliminate the phrase pertaining to the idea of life at conception. Soon afterwards, the University of Toronto did something very similar. Through it all then, what you and I begin to understand is that the judicial realm was following the cultural movements of the hour. And so what they began to note in particular here was that as the shift was being made away from the Hippocratic Oath, the result was that the judges were beginning to reshape the discussion and the terminology of the culture as to when life truly begins. Now, we've got to understand that. We've got to know that. We've got to be able to explain that. We've got to be able to apply that at the gates of our culture. So the wisdom from Scripture we need to apply, whether it be through construction in verses 3 through 5, illustratively, or through militarily 5 through 6, or judicially 6 to 7, but on to the second means by which you counsel effectively. Not only the wisdom from Scripture you need to apply, but the ways of evil we need to discern. In other words, this afternoon, when you're watching the Packers and they're playing San Francisco, you want to make certain that your team is such where the coaches have evaluated both the offense and the defensive strategies, the designs of the 49ers, right? Well, now, in the pro-life movement, what we need to be able to do is to effectively understand the reasoning behind decisions that are being made. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schema. And the devising of folly is sin. And the scoffer is an abomination, you see, to mankind. Now you read that and you say, well, what can I do with that? And how does that possibly relate to what we're discussing at this point? But then I recall several years ago in the prior political election, when Hillary Clinton was running, uh, she got herself into a bit of trouble when she told the host to meet the press, Chuck Todd, quote, the unborn person does not have any constitutional rights. 
the unborn person. I can imagine John the Baptist leaping for joy once again in the womb of Elizabeth if he was given that option. The writer goes on to say at this point, she was simply noting some restrictions on abortion, but the real challenge was over the idea that a person can exist within the womb. Onward. Maybe you don't watch Meet the Press, but you have heard of the Big Bang Theory. And there's Bernadette, and she's now expecting. And her husband, Howard, and their friend, Rajesh, use a phone home ultrasound kit. And when they hear the unborn baby's heartbeat, and this is Hollywood now, Rajesh exclaims, quote, you guys made a person, unquote. Now, I want to be able to say, hey, you guys are the means. God is the source. But you got it right about person. And this is one of the big challenges that's found in our culture right now is that who defines personhood? It's back then to the whole matter of who's the source. And if God is the source and the parents are the means, then God becomes the definer of what matters most. And God attaches value even to the Kirwan Highlanders of this world, you see. And now you're on then to the third and the final counseling point found in verse 10 down through verse 12. And you look at this and you realize that even that group Operation Rescue utilized these, these verses as a means to argue their point. That as you and I consider the sanctity of life and you connect it now with the strategies for life, you know thirdly, the will, you and I need willpower, the will to protect. We need to maintain this. Pick up at verse 10. If you faint, in other words, you've been pouring yourself into making a difference in this world, but now you're getting tired. And we want to be able to say, keep on keeping on. But if you faint in the day of adversity, and your strength is small, in other words, you're saying, I just don't have it in me to keep on keeping on. He issues the challenge again in verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And you look back at all the people who made a difference in the world because they were willing to keep on keeping on until finally, finally something happened. And the result was they were able to provide the rescue. And I thought about that when I came across an article on William Wilberforce, who was an incredible politician, you see, during the a century in Great Britain where, where slavery was being upheld until he came along. He was a difference maker. And he needed a John Wesley when Wesley realized that Wilberforce was beginning to wear down and Wesley wrote to Wilberforce, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Keep on keeping on. And so it went. 1797, 1798, 1800, 1801, years would pass by. He would put forth legislation, defeated again and again. But in 1803, 
when Napoleon's forces were beginning to produce a threat in Europe, they began to rethink their assumptions. Even though slavery had been a benefit to them economically, and so a vote was eventually taken in 283 to 16, the vote was cast and slavery. Wilberforce that night, he and his friend, reflecting upon Wesley's words to keep on keeping on, they made their way back to a setting where they were staying. And Wilberforce was weary, but joyous, we're told. He looked into the face of his old friend, Henry Thornton, where the years of illness, defeat, ridicule had taken his to its toll, and yet it was worth this moment. And then, well, Henry, Wilberforce said with joy in his eyes, what are we going to abolish next? Even in the midst of the weariness of life, you keep on making a difference because you're concerned for life. And so then in verse 12, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And he says to all the evangelicals in the United States of America and beyond, and will he not repay man according to his work? So you look at the ultrasound. You ponder the words. You realize like Adam and Eve that the culture is such it's seeking autonomy from God. We need to introduce the authority of God. And when we understand that it's the biblical that's meant to shape the cultural and it's the cultural that will shape the political, and when we put first things first and we start with God, everything moves naturally, which is why a Susan Shelley would be able to say, God is the giver and the taker of life. If the only opportunity I have to know this child is in my womb, I don't want to cut that time short. If the only world he is to know is my womb. I want that world to be as safe as I can make it. People, let's make this world as safe as we can make it. Utilize Anchor of Hope. Utilize Baby Care. Utilize the adoption agencies being represented in the hallway today. What we're doing now is we are presenting a holistic approach in the womb, outside the womb, the before and the after, a comprehensive approach now to bring life to a culture of death, but for the glory of God. Let's stand together. So, Father, we're thanking you now for this time together. Thanking you for who you are. Thanking you for how you work. This is not a religious issue. This is an ultimate issue. And what we need to be able to do is to raise the bar, raise the stakes, be creative, and find various ways to be able to communicate truth so that people can understand. God has sent one who is born into this world, who could be found in embryonic form within the womb of his mother to make his way to the cross to die for our sins so that we could have life. We praise you for that and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.